I'm David Whittell, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA, and you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. With a growing number of people working remotely, the need for a closer and more symbiotic relationship with technology has become paramount. But following years of headlines reporting that the robots will take our jobs, AI has hit the front pages again in recent weeks, with algorithms for exam results and facial recognition at protest having a, let's say, mixed critique in the news. I caught up with Rob McCargo, Director of Artificial Intelligence at PwC, to gain a deeper understanding of AI and digital disruption. I also wanted to hear his take on how these technologies could impact the future, as well as the skills people will need for the future of work. Well, hi, Rob. Great to talk to you again. Um, I thought we could maybe kick off the interview with you perhaps telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your career today, just for a little bit of background. Absolutely, David. Yeah, thanks for having me on the on the, uh, the podcast. So um, I've had a fairly uh, uh, circuitous career, put it mildly. I, I sort of started off studying the sciences in microbiology, a fairly pertinent subject in the world we live in at the moment, and uh, had a initial career in uh, executive search in, in, in recruiting boards for companies, uh, working for sort of larger recruiters, as well as running my own business for a while. I don't think I was ever particularly a successful entrepreneur myself. And, and after a, a phase of that, so I had a bit of an interesting foray into a career change in the humanitarian sector. I actually worked uh, in West Africa during the Ebola outbreak response in Sierra Leone in Guinea and Liberia, which was a fairly uh, illuminating experience. And again, quite relevant to the world we now inhabit. Um, so after that, um, I'd come back uh, from, from doing that uh, Baby number three, I think, was on way at the time. And uh, I think my wife uh, uttered the immortal words, isn't it time you went and got a grown-up job? I'm thinking, God, I don't want to do that now. <laughs> I want to save the world and do important things. And I thought uh, PwC sounded quite grown-up. So originally, I came in here uh, five years ago uh, uh, in a uh, workforce um, HR type of role for the first year. But over the last four years or so, I've, I've been working in the uh, artificial intelligence field. Uh, this has been working with both uh, how we're applying the technology to solve problems for ourselves internally as an organization, as well as working with the, the range of clients that we support across the world, across all sectors on how they're looking at this technology. Uh, and this is much more than just a technology role and debate in many ways. And uh, this brings us into quite a, a broad array of functions and fields, including the economic impact of this, the risk and regulatory and environment, the implications for the world of work, uh, and including a whole area of things in things like ethics. So yeah, it's been a fascinating uh, few years in the field and uh, certainly uh, it's taken me to many interesting places around the world to talk about it. I mean, you're right. It's an absolutely fascinating field and it's certainly an area that's really sparked a lot of conversation, debate and interest. Um, do you think it's fair to say that when it comes to AI, individuals and businesses are really keen to talk about it, but they perhaps are a little bit frightened to, to really sort of push forward into, into the uptake of implementing AI into their activities? And, and really, I suppose, with that in mind, what do you see as being the future for AI, certainly within the workplace? I think there's been a lot of noise about the technology in particular over the last four to five years or so. Uh, there has been some meaningful breakthroughs, certain sectors. I'd put areas such as uh, banks and financial services up there uh, as the most rapid adopters of the tech have certainly made some big strides there. Um, but I believe, yes, the, 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 the talk about the technology has certainly outweighed the meaningful action. I think there's a real challenge with the tech. Um, you've First of all, um, you alluded to the 
this in your question, uh, you've got an issue around the reputation and the, the real implications of the tech. Uh, there is uh, a number of people that have maybe a, a misguided viewpoint about the real power and implications of the tech, which doesn't bear itself out in reality. And also a lot of people who are deeply distrustful and fearful about this. But this falls into a few camps about the real-term potential risk now as well as this slightly far-flung, long-term existential threat posed by the tech espoused in science fiction and uh, by luminaries <laughs> in the Silicon Valley industry as well. So I think we are at a really interesting inflection point. I think there's real value coming through. But the decisions that businesses make about how they use this and how they adopt this from now on in will have big implications about how Positively, it's received by workforces and by the customer base and society at large, um, as well as other stakeholders such as regulators and beyond. And I mean, with that in mind, I think there is a misnomer that AI is only being used successfully by the sort of super big tech companies. But have you seen any evidence of it being used successfully in surprising organizations, perhaps smaller companies or um, not-for-profits along those sort of lines? I think this gets through to the uh, the issue around categorization and definition of the technology. And uh, I think it is important to take a step back and talk, really drill down on what we're talking about here. This technology is already pervasive across our lives as citizens. It's in our smartphones. It's getting us to meetings on time. It's recommending movies on streaming services and beyond. So it's already here. Um, in terms of enterprise adoption, I think we're seeing remarkable breakthroughs happening in many industries now. Um, the areas that particularly excite me are in the fields of healthcare and um, pharmaceuticals. So, for example, um, throughout the pandemic, there's been some extraordinary progress with regards to the adoption of AI to um, help uh, accelerate the, the um, investigation of both um, the vaccination for COVID-19 as well as novel drug treatments for the symptoms of the disease as well. So that's one particularly hot area. Um, so so I, think, I think many industries now are starting to starting adopt it and, uh, and getting real value from this. For me though, we talk a lot about the slightly more eye-catching applications of this. I think we talk a lot more though, uh, PwC about the use of boring AI, the ones that may, maybe don't necessarily uh, jump out the page as particularly exciting or sexy, but drive profound enterprise value behind the scenes of an organization. Absolutely. I see what you mean. And I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but uh, and in a different world. But back in 2019, you, you were a keynote speaker at our global conference in Istanbul. And you spoke about AI at the time. And you, a quote that really resonated with me was that you said that you that in terms of AI, you need to take society with you. Otherwise, you'll continue to see tech lash. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by tech lash and how perhaps governments and decision makers can negate the effects of it? I think the, uh, the the stage we were at a couple of years back uh, at Istanbul was uh, it, it still felt a little bit far off. I think to your layman on the street about the impact of on their lives, and I think what you have now seen very very recently is real world impact of the application of algorithms and AI on on, on consequential decisions on people's lives. Uh, if I could um, uh, pull out. Uh, 
very, very recent applications in terms of using this around the grading of predictive grades in the A-level situation at the moment. This has created an enormous backlash uh, for pupils and parents across the, the UK. And uh, and this, is, again, is, is just one example of, uh, of real-world impact of the technology where if a system cannot be explained, if a, if a, if a custodian of um, of an AI or uh, a similar system is not explaining to their stakeholders how it's being used to make decisions, then you do real uh, damage to the trust within an organization. So I think this uh, last few months alone has already led to some pretty high-profile applications. Another one that also poses the application of um, facial recognition technology, which is causing uh, uh, a lot of um, discomfort across stakeholders across the world as well in terms of both security and identification of people in in protests for example so this is real now it's uh, it's having a, a real world impact people can feel the impact on their lives as citizens and this is why it's more important than ever that enterprises using the tech are extremely clear about how they're doing it, they're transparent, and they're focusing on the ability to use the tech to build trust, not to not to not to harm it. I mean, mate, you raised so many interesting points there that I want to pick up on. And I think at the start of the conversation, we talked about, I suppose, perceived risks of AI. And it was very much a few years ago, the rhetoric was all around, oh, the robots are going to take our jobs. And, and that was something we had to sort of discuss quite quite a lot at length um, in terms of the role of AI going forward. But you're right, over the past few months, we have seen issues with the algorithms around the A-levels and hires. Um, do you think this has created bigger risks in the widespread adoption of AI? And, and if so, you know how, how do you sort of see that panning out going forward? It's probably going to um, give organizations pause for thought before they um, press play on, uh, on, on applying this technology. And, and probably for good reason. Have they thought through all the externalities? Have they thought through um, all of the unintended consequences? Have they got the right people in the room challenging the developers of the code and the algorithms at the start? Have they got the right governance in place? So in the main, I think it could create the right positive uh, ripple effect that sees organizations thinking much more holistically about the potential opportunities and consequential harm that can come through the use of this technology. So um, so we hope that this uh, leads to an acceleration of, uh, of, of far more awareness and uh, and sensible adoption of the tech going forward. Um, the, the risk is if that we don't take this seriously, then it, organizations may well uh, decide not to use it at all. And we will miss out on those incredible benefits that could be posed in terms of economic growth or the ability to solve intractable problems with the tech or to uh, think about the way you can remove risk in jobs, for example. So I think we're back to this issue about this being an inflection point. And uh, we really need to ensure that uh, this year in particular, going forward, businesses get it. The right people are in the room from the get-go. This is not just a technology or technologists-led conversation. Absolutely. And you mentioned that, you know, in, in some areas, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the use of this sort of technology. Um, but I think, you know, for, for the entire workforce, for all of us, um, this, I, I guess the crisis has given us a, a space to pause and to innovate and to think. And I was really wondering if you sort of noticed any industries or organizations that have been able to make particularly good use of the technology during this time. 
from, from speaking to uh, so many uh, <clears throat> organizations over the last uh, five months or so, it, it's clear that um, if you take AI out, the, AI out the equation for a minute, just look, talking about technology adoption full stop, this has seen organizations rapidly accelerate their digital transformation agenda. Um, organizations have been forced at scale immediately to uh, to, to create a remote working and uh, that has broadly gone fairly successfully for many organizations that, that we talk to and have worked with. And uh, with that opportunity, I think, comes uh, the, 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 the chance for organizations to maybe make more experiments, uh, take a few sensible calculated risks about how to apply the technology, and to, uh, to think about how you can improve the lot of your workforce during this time. Maybe just one example I could give you about what we've done. Um, we've uh, rolled out a fairly interesting experiment for a thousand volunteers in our workforce who have equipped with uh, smart watches and uh, we have a, a big program of anonymizing the data to create biometric data to detect issues in terms of stress, sleep pattern, uh, heart rate vari variability, uh, also cognitively testing everybody every morning to use machine learning to see if we can discern interesting patterns that affect our people's well-being and their productivity during the pandemic. And uh, this is something that we hope can be uh, utilized not just by ourselves, but our clients as well to, to really think through how to, uh, to gear up your people for health and success in this fairly uncertain future in this uh, in this future of work yeah i think that's a, that's a really good point and i've seen other examples of organizations using um technology to sort of just ask staff how they're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis and then you know look at measuring that across across the board especially when people are working in remote locations and i think that makes a difference in, in terms of individual well-being and also benchmarking across organizations so i think that's a that's a lovely application but i, I think you know going forward in in terms of the working world um it's probably more than fair to say that the market is is facing uncertainty in terms of jobs. And we've just carried out some research that shows that perhaps six out of 10 employers are saying that they're going to be a little bit more discerning with who they're recruiting over the coming years. And, you know, there'll be a reduction in, in the number of management rules available and there might be too many applicants for the jobs that, that they're going to be available in the, in the more senior echelons of business. Um, and with that in mind, and with the, the job market facing uncertainty, do you think that, I suppose, candidates need to think about new skills and new knowledge that is vital for them in their search for opportunities in the new normal? I think that this was a trend that was already starting to surface anyway prior to the, the pandemic and the implications of that. Uh, I think what it has simply done is accelerated many of those trends at warp speed over the last few months. So I think it was already evident that people were going to need to be able to display a, a, an ever-increasing uh, level of agility. Uh, a level of adaptability, uh, a level of uh, curiosity to ensure that they were constantly thinking about future-proofing themselves, not just thinking about education as a, a one-off investment, but a, a lifelong endeavor, and uh, a willingness to continually expand their repertoire and skill sets to to ensure that they're viable for the, the future. How, how you how you target the sort of the landing strip for what those jobs look like is a, a nigh on impossible task. So one thing that we've tried to do for our workforce, and to give you an idea of scale, we have uh, about 275,000 people across the world, um, was to say, well, hang on, the, the world of work is going to change. Uh, we have a large number of highly qualified professionals working with uh, data, 
at high volume, sometimes repetitively. Um, so there is a risk that those jobs change quite um, materially in the space of five to 10 years, if not sooner. So we've uh, we've put aside a, an investment pot of three billion US dollars over the next three to four years to upskill every single member of staff. And this is not just giving them plenty of training courses, but uh, thinking about digital mindset, uh, training everybody on the application of things like artificial intelligence in my field, uh, robotic process automation, data analytics, just getting everybody digitally savvy to uh, to be prepared for the, the way we're going forward. And uh, our chairman made quite a bold statement uh, several months ago. He said, listen, we can't say what those jobs are going to look like, but if you opt in, you will have a job here in the future. And I think that's really created quite a nice ripple effect downstream in terms of creating bottom-up employee advocacy, people that are given permission to experiment, try their hand at new skills and think about um, their, 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 their career path in, in, in different ways compared to what it might have been in the, in the past. That's amazing. I think that's setting a brilliant example for other employers as well. But I suppose moving the conversation to the the business school environment where, you know, people are obviously being educated, being taught to to be managers of tomorrow. How do you think business schools can best keep up with the rate of development and technology to to ensure that this pipeline of, I suppose, tech savvy leaders are, are coming through for today and for tomorrow? Well, I, I, I think um, there's there's absolutely... Uh, essential now for, for business school leaders to to be more connected than ever with with um, you know with breakthroughs in business and technology itself. Uh, it's moving at such a rapid pace of knots that uh, our team are often running just in AI alone twenty or thirty experiments in the UK and you know proof of concept and uh, and other uh, projects uh, at the same time simultaneously. So uh, the, the the awareness of the art of the possible, I think needs to have uh, a, a direct impact on the curation of the curricula, if that's the right phrase to describe it, um, in a very agile way. I, I think it's very hard to have uh, curricula locked in stone now for, for for multi-years. I think it often needs to be uh, uh, altered in flight to take into account the, uh, the, the impact of some of these technologies. If you just take one example alone, there's uh, an organization called OpenAI in the US that have launched this uh, technology called GPT-3 which um, is well worth having a look at if any listeners want to check this out. But uh, it's been trained on an enormous data set of, uh, of, of, uh, of text around the world. And you can give it a snippet of, a, of a, an excerpt of a, of a story or a, or a white paper, and it will use AI to then create itself uh, the rest of the, of the article, for example, in a very convincing way scarily so in some respects and you start thinking then about what that then means for a whole raft of different jobs and it is it's often quite frightening to think about that so i i think for business schools the the finger on the pulse the ability to be absolutely hardwired into the most cutting edge innovators and leading businesses is more important than ever on an ongoing basis rather than just having a sort of a, an annual or or biannual check-in to see what the temperature is at the moment. I hear you. And with that in mind, I think that given that in the current environment that we're not able to attend as many events or, or networking as what we used to be, I think more and more people are, are sort of looking to social, social media and, and various channels to, to keep their profile out there. Um, and I hope you'll forgive me for saying that you are prolific in social media, have a great following. And, you know, it's, it's, it's 
something that you use very effectively. I was just really wondering if you might be able to offer us some advice on and how social influence has impacted your career and perhaps offer some advice to, to, to others as to how they can maybe make the most of, of social media in the current climate. It, it's been uh, it's been an extraordinary um, experience over the last <laughs> five or six years in particular. I, I think um, I was probably advantaged from my first career um, as a headhunter because uh, collecting contacts is uh, rigueur. It's just a, a byproduct of uh, your day-to-day activity. So I was always well connected with a big network. But uh, how that has expanded and how it's um, nurtured over the last uh, four or five years has been absolutely integral to any uh, career success I've had. Um, The serendipity of connections, the ability to translate uh, complex topics to a broader cross-section of business uh, has been been powerful. The ability to, uh, to bring a broader the set of uh, perspectives and disciplines into a conversation to help uh, push forward an agenda, all critical. Uh, but I think in terms of uh, the point you've made in your question there, for, for a business leader or a aspiring business leader going forward now, the, the, the inability to connect organically or in person with your staff or your customers is, is putting an emphasis on digital impact and influence and communication more than ever. And uh, a tenfold, if anything, because uh, people need constant assurance that you're there, you're you're connected. You're not just pushing white papers all the time, but you're showing that human side of yourself, the ability to, you know, to 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 showcase your personality. I think is important through certain social media channels. So, so for me, and in a business context, I think the two I tend to use the most are LinkedIn and Twitter. LinkedIn tends to be slightly more formal. Link, uh, Twitter tends to be more conversational, and uh, it has led to brilliant things. You know, I think it was probably uh, through social media that uh, Amber came across me several years ago to get the <laughs> chance to uh, to come and do some talks for you guys. So uh, it's uh, I, th- I think I put it this way: a few years ago, I think even colleagues were saying, "Oh, you're doing the Twitter thing again," as though it was slightly mocking, like it was uh, a hobby or a bit of a waste of time. Um, but I think now it's recognized as essential for business leaders to have a, a digital showcase for what they're about more than ever. Absolutely. Well, that answers all my questions, Rob. Um, firstly, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak to me today. You've been a friend of Amber, like you say, for, for many years and keeping us up to speed with all the developments and and things going on in the tech sector and especially with AI. So thank you for that. And also thank you today for giving us some advice and insight in a very unique um, place and time when, you know, perhaps these technologies are, are even more important in, in helping us sort of move forward into what we're now describing as the new normal. So thank you again for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you, David. It's been a great time to chat. And Rob's written lots of articles and comment for Ambition on AI and some of the other topics he discussed during the interview. So if you want to find out more, just visit www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition.